0: Can you imagine as a young person sitting there talking to your career advisor, your counselor about to leave secondary education to move into the world of college, university and adult life and to share from your soul, from your heart, where you want to go, what you want to do, the passions that you have inside you and your career advisor says, no, that's not for you. That's where we start today's conversation, Uh, and I'm really honored to have David Price on the podcast today. He's definitely a ruckus maker. He makes change happen in education, so you'll enjoy this conversation. Yes, we'll talk about that moment as a young lad. He was talking to his career advisor, but also we're going to dig into his new book. Highly recommend that you pick it up called The Power of Us, but it will definitely inspire you to think differently and more innovatively around education. Hey, it's Daniel, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for ruckus makers, those out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. And we'll be right back after these messages from our show sponsors. All students have an opportunity to succeed with organized binder who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at OrganizeBinder.com. Today's podcast is brought to you by TeachFX. It's basically like a Fitbit for teachers, helping them be mindful of teacher talk versus student talk. Get a special 20% discount for your school or district by visiting TeachFX.com forward slash BL. I believe that school leaders are doing the best they can. But is it possible to be just a little bit better? According to Demetrius, a school leader in California, the best part of the mastermind is the hot seat. I learned so much from the challenges that we all shared during the hot seat because the feedback that our members give is so insightful and valuable. Lauren, a principal in Washington, D.C., remarked that the best part on the mastermind is access to tremendous thought partnering. If you would benefit from getting connected to other elite school leaders and would enjoy discussing education and leadership deeply each week, then we welcome your application to the mastermind. Apply today at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash mastermind. Hey there, ruckus maker. I am excited to be joined today by David Price. What an honor. And David is a consultant, trainer, speaker, and the author of two Amazon best-selling books: Open, How Will Work, Live, and Learn in the Future. And newly released The Power of Us: How We Connect, Act, and Innovate Together. David has led innovative projects in education in the uk and australia he's an international advisor to the canadian educators association the mastery transcript initiative in the u.s vegas schools in india and the global schools alliance and cultural consultancy sparks and honey also in the u.s he has advised multinational corporations and government education departments all over the world and is a sought-after public speaker he was awarded the OBE in 2009 by the Queen, yep, that Queen, for services to education and lives in North Yorkshire, England. David, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Daniel. I just happened to have the award here. Obviously, listeners can't see it, but it, it, um, we've just moved house. And I, I said to my wife, what happened to the medal that the Queen gave me? <laughs> but it's turned up anyway. So that's
0: good. Okay. I'm glad it turned up. Uh, Why don't we start there just real quick? You know, I I lived in Scotland, so I have a little bit of a sense of of what this is about, but uh, the ruckus maker listening might be like OBE queen. What are we we talking about? So tell us a little bit about that real quick.
1: It's a very strange and mysterious process. Um, (laughs) When, when, when she actually, you know, when you get called up and, you go and you shake a hand. And she said to me, why did you get this? <laughs> I said to her, well, I don't know. I thought, you might know. <laughs> but she she didn't know either. They have these committees that uh, nominate people. And I, it may be that I'm, I led a music education project, which was kind of quite innovative and uh, reached around the world. It may have been in recognition of that, or could have been the work I did uh, helping to establish the Liverpool Institute for Performing Arts. That was, that was the only time that she was involved in things.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up music. Uh, I know that's a, a passion of yours, uh, and you shared that passion as a lad with a career advisor, but the response was a bit <laughs> strange. T- tell us that story.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I grew up in the northeast of England, which is a very working-class area. The town I was born in was called Jarrow, and it was only famous for one thing, which is that, in the 1930s, the unemployment rate was 95%. If you can believe that, it's incredible. And, and so we were used to kind of, you know, low expectations, let's put it that way. But my cousin played in a, a group called The Animals, who at the time were having a big hit in the U.S. with a song called House of the Rising Sun. And so it seemed perfectly feasible to me. You know, I knew somebody who was a professional musician. So when we had the careers advice day and um, the guy said to me, so what do you want to be? And I said, well, I'd like to be a professional musician. And it was a source of great hilarity. And he said, I'll put you down for an administrative job. And sure enough, you know, because when you're in those kind of, de- well, you know what it's like being up in Scotland, in those deprived areas, You we're-, we're terrible in the UK for the kind of tall poppy syndrome, you know, don't get ahead of yourself, don't think that you're bigger than that. And so I kind of figured, oh, maybe maybe I should just take an administrative job. And I did that in the civil service for two years and I was so bad at it. I was terrible. And I thought, no, let's, let's give the music a a crack. And so I did it for about 15 years and, you know, it didn't make a great deal of money, but boy, I had a good time.
0: Yeah. And you know, that's, that's really important. Obviously you had a good time, but you followed your, your passion. And in those 15 years, uh, you know what, what? were some of those maybe life lessons, or or uh, yeah, just experiences that taught you maybe what you needed that you didn't know at this moment? But you, you see, what's the connection?
1: It's a, such a great question because it was only you know I think you you kind of make sense of your life in, in hindsight, and it was when I started writing the first book open uh, that I I really got. Interested in the theoretical concept of informal learning, um, because you know at that point we were the whole social media explosion was still relatively new, um, and it was it was a great passion of mine. And I, I thought, I wonder why you know I've got this drive uh, and and real interest in in how we learn outside of school. And then I, I thought back to. It it was a a chance meeting with with my cousin, Alan, when, you know, it was one of those cringe-making events where your mother says, play something on the piano for for Alan. And I I played some dreadful piece of classical music, which I couldn't play very well. And he said, yeah, it's very good, but did you ever think of playing without the music? And I hadn't. I I, I hadn't even considered it. Uh, And then once I did, and he showed me a few kind of tips just to get started by playing by ear... And that, that completely transformed my life. And I was a shy little kid who, you know, never had a girlfriend. And then suddenly I would turn up at youth clubs and that, that kind of thing, sit and play the piano and sing, and suddenly girls wanted to know me. <laughs> Oh this is amazing and and yeah i guess i've i 've been interested in informal learning ever since, but of course, at that time we 're talking about in the seventies in the u k there were only really two places where you could learn, and one was school and the other was the library um, but of course, now it 's such a different world
0: yeah I, I need you to to describe though informal learning a bit and what, what you mean by playing without the music you know as a You know, I'm not a professional musician by any means, but I do have a good ear. I've been playing music my whole life, and uh, I can definitely pick up a tune and find that on the guitar, which uh, worked out nicely playing with Roger in uh, Glasgow, who he'd take out his fiddle, and that was so much fun. So I I, I get what you're telling in that story, but I think that's a really great metaphor that we need to tease out for the, the listener, just in case they don't know what it means to take that music away.
1: Sure. So it is It is interesting. I, you know, I mentioned this music education project, which was way, way later. But in a sense, it was my attempt to say, in music education, what if we started with the music that young people were interested in? And of course, I had a lot of teachers who would say, yeah, but this, it's not written down. The music isn't written down. And it said, well, you've got a pair of ears. You can use your ears and get it out. And we did some research. And, and even then, so we're talking about early 2000s now. When, when young people were asked if the, the bands that they saw on TV had been trained or not, formally trained to read music, they all assumed that they had been, you know, even rap artists and that kind of genre. And for me, it was, it was just fascinating to see people who had been classically trained, who were then put in the position where they just had to use their ears. And, and they were good at it, you know, they, they, it, t- it took a while, but it, it's like any skill. You'll know what that's like, Daniel. You know, first you kind of just get somewhere close to maybe what the chords are, but you can hear something is not quite right in your, your hearing. And then after a while, there's a phrase that musicians use where, where you, you kind of spot the changes you know when the chord is going to change. And after a while, you see certain patterns which are, you know, it's just like any kind of language, there are patterns which emerge. But it's, as a social currency, it's wonderful because now I, I hardly ever play. The only time I play is, you know, when family comes around or maybe uh, I've had a few drinks and I, I realize <laughs> honest, I want to get my wife. But right. with the fact, if you've got good ears, you can pick it up straight away. Whereas now, if you put a piece of, Classical music down in front of me, it would be truly ugly,
0: okay, yeah, yeah. I was on the uh, our second floor balcony the other evening, and we were having a, a drink, maybe a dram of whiskey, and I was playing some of my my wife 's favorite music and that 's uh Oliver Tuku and Takudzi. i don 't know if you 've ever heard of him, but he 's really a brilliant guitar player. But his his style is Zimbabwean, so it's not natural to me, right? He played the guitar almost like a drum. It was like a percussive style, I would say. But we were listening to my favorite song, "Endima and the Pizza, and I finally got it. It clicked. I was searching for the chords and everything. I had to grab a capo because he was doing some interesting things, and it finally worked. In that moment, I threw up my hands, almost dropped my head to grab my guitar, but I was like, yes! Because I just, I wanted to find that song and something unleashed inside of me there. So, And it,
1: it's just kind of like riding a bike. I remember mm. you've sparked a memory for me when I was about 15 and, you know, the whole folk revival thing was going on and I would listen to Bob Dylan. Yeah. And they they have this kind of what's known technically as a rocking bass where okay. when, you're, when you're finger picking, mm. you get the, the, the thumb plays the, the equivalent of what a bass guitar would be. And then the other fingers kind of play around with that. But it's technically it's quite a tricky thing to get. But once you get it, you never lose it. It, it. It's amazing. And it was it was a similar kind of moment. You know, you just think, oh, that's how you do it.
0: Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, let's get to uh, really the power of us, which is fabulous. I highly recommend it. Uh, Ruckus Maker. It'll be linked up for you in the show notes if you want to get a copy as well. Um, but I'd love to ask. First, you know, just what is your hope with the book? Why, why did you write it and what do you hope uh, that we get out of it?
1: Yeah, well, I think it, it's, there's, a, there's a number of levels uh, to, to that. Answer. One is I think we just should simply be more aware of what I call user innovation. and And when I talk about users... Um, I'm making a distinction between consumers of products and services, but it's people who actively use it and may, maybe amend it and improve it for their own purposes. And, and this is often a quite a, a, an ethereal concept. People struggle to get, get their heads around. But in reality, 54% of all new products and services are not invented by the manufacturers. They're invented by the users so this applies as much to education as it would do to you know, health services or, or, or product development. And I feel like we should acknowledge that there has been something which has been changing economically over the past five years. And the governor of the Bank of England described it as the, the coming artisanal economy. And I think with COVID, it's really heighten that uh, need now that people have to, to be creative, to make things, yeah. whether that's, you know, sourdough, bread or half right. beer. There is something in us, which that is now coming to the fore. And the the really interesting part of it now, partly through necessity, because sadly a lot of people in the UK are losing their jobs and they're thinking, well what should I do? And many of them have had hobbies and now it's possible, you know, passion. And you know, through websites like Etsy or Patreon, you can you can put your stuff out there, whether it's cupcakes or, you know, writing poetry, you can you can find an audience for it. And I think this will become a bigger phenomenon as as time develops and be aware of. And we need to prepare our young people as much to be kind of social entrepreneurs.
0: Well, David, you know, I appreciate what you were you were sharing there and especially this idea of the artisanal economy. And, um, you know, I want to connect that to education in just a second. And I'm going I'm to show you something just so you can see it. The, the ruckus maker listening will have to imagine it. But Jean-Luc Affirmier, was a uh, the tech coordinator at a school I worked at in Chicago. And during the pandemic, he sent me this, David. So here's one postcard. You see the, the green and brown sort of hues. And then this one as well. And this was such a beautiful moment for me because it was reconnecting with an old friend during a really tough time. And he sent me these postcards that he painted, but on the back, he also wrote a poem, which I'm not going to read to you. It's two parts, but it had to do with the idea of farmers because our our families uh, have roots being farmers, um, if you go back some generations. But that was such a touching experience. Uh, I love to, I'm a creative guy as well, so I love to doodle, draw, and this kind of stuff. So I started drawing little scenes, right, and painting them with watercolor. And then what I do is I send them to uh, leaders I serve in my mastermind community. I give the postcard a title and I say, the story is up to you, you know, like you make up the rest. And what I hope to do is to inspire those I serve, right, that they're, they might be carrying something heavy at the moment they receive this postcard, right? Like leadership is tough right now. Life is tough. And I want them just to forget about it all and find themselves lost in the story just for a few moments. And this is something I'm doing. So thank you for allowing me to share that. Yeah. And what what I'd love is to hear. So what does that look like maybe in the in the school experience, right? Like how do you said the innovation comes from the users? How might we experience that or foster that within our communities?
1: Well, I, I think there's a, a couple of levels. I refer to organizations in the book. And by that, I mean, it could be a commercial organization or it could be a school, it could be a, a not-for-profit. Um, but for me, the key is creating the right kind of culture where, where that will flourish, that ingenuity will flourish. Well, I, I spend a, a long time being asked by organizations to come in and inverted commas make their people a little more creative. And you know, I'm sure you've had the same. You shop and you have the all folks getting in the way.
0: Yeah. So, David, thank you for allowing me to to share that story of these uh, postcards I'm sending my friends and, and those I serve. And so, I'm curious. You know, how does that translate? Finding the the uh, innovators and in this artisanal experience within the context of school?
1: Yeah, well, I think there's, there's two aspects to this. One is, how do we create an internal culture for educators so that they feel that they can be creative? Um, I get just sometimes are not great learning organizations. Um, and I guess it's because they're so busy, you know, they, they don't have time really to think about that. That's one part of it. But I think the other part is how do we create the right kind of culture and environment for our students so that they feel that it isn't about getting the right answer, but it's about being being creative and and making and producing things. Cause we've it seems to me gradually over time we've kind of lost that. And and I think the post-COVID world is going to demand that we bring it back.
0: Right. And in what respects do leaders maybe need to check themselves and potentially get out of the way? Because I have a feeling that a lot of times the, the creativity that is inherent in any organization and human being that it might just be snuffed out because of poor leadership.
1: Oh, absolutely, and you know, I, I, I'm guilty as charged. I, I was in charge of a hundred academic staff, and I was the kind of I thought my my role as as the leader was to be the person who comes up with all the ideas. And then eventually, I think people just kind of thought, well, there's not much point in having new ideas because he's going to come along and tell us what to do. And I realised, you know, particularly as I was writing this book, that I probably had inadvertently, and, and for all the right reasons, but I'd, I'd taken away the, the, the part of the culture which is about autonomy and agency, which I think is just so important these days for our young people because, you know, if we look 20 years down the road... Um, Let's face it, there's, we've got a climate emergency which hasn't gone away. The impact of COVID in terms of the recession is going to be pretty severe. So we, we need a, a generation of problem solvers coming through. And the only way you can prepare for that is, is to be solving problems in, in your school career. So I think we, we need to rethink learning so that it develops what I call a pedagogy of agency.
0: And it's with that idea I want to continue the conversation, agency and autonomy. Uh, But we'll pause here just for a moment for a message from our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder develops the skills and habits all students need for success. During these uncertain times of distance learning and hybrid education settings, Organized Binder equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning routines so that all students have an opportunity to succeed, whether at home or in the classroom. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. During COVID, every teacher is a new teacher. That's why innovative school leaders are turning to TeachFX, whose virtual PD is equipping thousands of teachers with the skills they need to create engaging, Equitable and rigorous virtual or blended classes. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. And we're back with David Price, the author of The Power of Us How We Connect, Act, and Innovate Together. And uh, David, where we left off, uh, there was this idea of autonomy and agency. And I, I think that's it's a great idea to explore. Uh, it can be difficult, right, for a leader to give agency and autonomy to her staff or the teacher to her students. Do you have any ideas on on how we can get more comfortable with that?
1: Well, yeah, we, we get into some very personal kind of issues, I guess, here, um, I, I, work with a, a school leader and she said to me, you know, I, I need our people to be more innovative. And so I came in, I worked with them the whole day and I said, um, well, there's good news and bad news. I said, which do you want first? She said, well, give me the good news. I said, you've, you've got a really innovative team here. They've, they've got lots of ideas. And she said, what's the bad news? I said, it's that they don't feel trusted. And if without trust, it's really hard for people to feel like they've got autonomy and they can they can try things out and make mistakes and and the world isn't going to come to an end. They're not going to be thrown under the bus if it doesn't work. So I think that's that's the first thing that we can do. But when it comes to our students, I think we've just got to to have them do work that matters. You know, so, stuff that they think is is socially purposeful and and that will give them the context for the learning.
0: Right. And obviously we should talk to our students to find out uh, their interests, like going back to the music uh, story that you shared and having kids play music that they find interesting. So we can go directly to the source and ask you, yeah, what are your interests? What problems do you want to solve? But we don't have a student on the call right now, so... David, what, what are some uh, interesting problems or, or approaches yeah, to the work that you've seen young people do that you find inspiring?
1: Well, I think one of the challenges is that if we aren't careful, we're going to end up where students are, are leading two separate lives. Now, let me give you a, a, a personal example of this. My eldest son, when he was about 15, I, it, well, I had a terrible job getting him out of bed in the morning to go to school. And Eventually, I kind of got to the bottom of it and said, what's the problem here? And he said, well, he looked a bit sheepish. And he said, I take part in um, internet radio programs, talk shows. And I said, really? I said, what, 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 are, you, what are you discussing? He said, well, libertarian politics. At that point, he was, he was heavily into the idea of libertarian politics. So I said, but surely you could, you could uh, just record it and listen to it another time. He said, no, no, you don't understand I'm a panelist. People ask me what I think, so I have to be. <laughs> and I said, does your school know that you do this? And he said, of course not. And of course, he didn't particularly want his school to know either. And I just think that we, we have a, a, a challenge. You know, I have met in the past two years, I've met students around the world. Will Stamp, for example, who discovered... Three stars that no one had ever spotted before. He did it by kind of hacking into NASA telescopes. Uh, a kid who became a world champion golfer in, in, in India without ever playing, stepping on a golf course, but he, he had a YouTube connection, watched every video of Tiger Woods. I'm doing a thing next week with a, a young woman. She's 15 year old from Colombia. She's called Sophia uh, Leal. And she's invented this temporary housing, it's like a, a modern idea of an igloo made out of fiberglass, which can be used when people have been displaced through you know, natural disasters. And now she did that within her school. That was part of her curriculum. But too often, I think our young people have the, this drive, this initiative, but it, it has to happen outside of school.
0: Well, I have a few more uh, book questions uh, before we wrap up our, our conversation. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on community versus competition. And a, just a quick story. So I, I worked at a school of selective enrollment, meaning that, that kids had to test to get in. And the short version of the story is there were 12 schools vying, you know, competing for the same kids. And each year, some students got locked out of the system because they chose the schools wrong. And I thought it was just wrong, just morally wrong to uh, market to students and get them excited about a school that they might not ever get in and then get locked out of all the schools. And so I tried to bring the recruiters together and find out, you know, just best practices, what was working for each community and how we might share information more transparently so that as many kids as possible could get into the highest quality of school that matched their skill set. But nobody wanted to meet. They wanted to compete. They wanted to fill their their school's roster uh, and not share what was working. And that drives me nuts. And I see that all the time with schools. We want to beat the school down the street, which makes no sense to me. So can you riff a little bit on community versus competition?
1: Yeah, well, I once again, because of COVID, I think it's it's accelerated and, and highlighted a number of fascinating tensions that we've got. One of the young people that I, I start the book talking about is a kid who lives just outside Seattle called Abby Schiffman. And Abby's just been um, made Webby Person of the Year. He's created two websites. One is the COVID tracking website. That's pretty much the authoritative US source. Anthony Fauci uses it all the time. The second one happened when the George Floyd protests started. And he's now tracking Black Lives Matter protests. And now, Avi, uh, when I spoke to him, he said, you know, I'm I'm a terrible student. I I get like, I think his grade point average was 1.7. And he said, my attendance is like 60%. And I thought, well, this is crazy. He's clearly a really smart guy and and he's doing some really important work at a time when the US government was really frankly struggling to put together their own authoritative source in the UK we've only now got a covid tracking app that's worth it's, it's worth bothering with we've been doing that for 9 months and the phrase i use in the book is communities are outperforming bureaucracies and it's partly because young people as as well as as, as older people are are networking so much better they are sharing that information freely. There's this trend which is starting to emerge now called cosmolocalism. It's an awful phrase, but essentially the cosmopolitan part of it is that through open source, information is becoming available to anyone at lightning speed. But the, the local part of it, is that we're taking that information and then we're producing or making things or developing services locally so that they're more sustainable. And one of the examples I came across in the book is a guy called Matt Botel in Melbourne who has put together uh, an initiative which is around creating prosthetic limbs. And he does it at a fraction of the cost to, to buy you know one of these arms or legs commercially. And he does it by putting the designs up for free on his website, but then invites uh, invites people to make them locally. And it's it's it costs like ten dollars for a prosthetic limb, and that's that's a good example now of how through collaboration and through cooperation, our the user innovators are working quicker than governments and major pharmaceuticals and, and major corporations. And you're, you're absolutely right. This applies particularly to education. I don't particularly blame the teachers because the system of, of standardized testing is such that it's a competition. Well, you know, I I can only score well if you score badly. And so we're, we're automatically put into competition with one another. What we're seeing outside of education and in the world of open innovation more generally is that it's through collaboration and the open source of information that real fast innovation takes place. And that's what COVID showed. The moment the Chinese released the genetic code of the virus was the moment that, you know, 240 vaccine trials were able to start and will complete in unprecedented timescales.
0: Well, this has been a fascinating uh, conversation, David, and I highly recommend, again, the Ruckus Maker. You go out and uh, grab The Power of Us or uh, click the link in the show notes for you. I'd love to ask you the last two questions I ask every guest. So David, if you could put a message on all school marquees around the world for just one day, what would you put on the marquee?
1: Well, I wish I could claim this as an original idea, but it's not. I have a school which I feature in the book uh, in Doncaster. Its its motto is above all compassion. I, it seems to me that right now the times we're living in, that's a pretty good rule to live by.
0: I agree. And David, you're building a school from the ground up. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation is your imagination. How would you build your dream school? And what would be your top three priorities?
1: So by this, Daniel, do, do, you, you don't mean the, the physical design of a school? Do you mean like, how would it operate? How would it run?
0: There's no right or wrong answers. So however you want to take it.
1: Yeah, okay, I'll take it. The, the second part of it then. So uh, this is probably quite controversial. I'd have no standardized testing. I think it's the the thing that drives me nuts, the way the world's um, enthusiasm for standardized testing has blocked innovation. I'd have students do work that matters, doing socially purposeful work, and, and I'd have mixed stage cohorts. And by that, I mean all ages. There are some schools that I work with who who have adults learning alongside kids. And it's a remarkable thing to see. Uh, and it's a great way of, of emphasizing to our young people now that we are genuinely in the era of lifelong learning. I know we've been talking about it for decades now, but it's here. And so they, they should get used to the fact that outside of school, we learn from people of all ages. So why not in school?
0: Well, David, thank you so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. Of all the things we talked about today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember?
1: I I think that we have a generation of young people coming through. I'm amazed at, at how lacking in cynicism they are, even though, let's face it, they've been dealt a pretty rough hand. And I think we just need to listen to them and we need to encourage them to make and develop their own Work so I, I, you know, there's there's a whole academic theory of self determination and how that leads to deeper and stronger learning, and I think we've got an opportunity now. I really do. I think COVID has made us question so many things about education. So the challenge for leaders is: can we be brave enough to try some of that?
0: Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed. <laughs>